Uh, we are today kind of in a one-off in between series. So uh, just so you guys know, a quick little announcement here. For the next two weeks, we are not meeting. Okay, for, for spring break, we are not meeting. So if you show up, you're going to be alone. It's going to be awkward. And your mom's probably going to be mad that she dropped you off and you didn't know. So next two weeks, there is nothing happening here for spring break. We are away in Mexico, and uh, that's why. So today... All right, two people excited. Um, we, uh, we're in between series, so we're going to kind of do kind of a one-off, so there's one random message, and today what we're going to talk about is the most beautiful thing. We're going to be talking about forgiveness, okay, forgiveness, and so this is where we're going to find ourselves uh, talking about today. Uh, it's this in Matthew 18, so if you guys have your Bibles, um, we're not putting it up on the screen, so please pull out your phone, go to the app store, download the Bible, whatever, have it with you because uh, we need you to kind of track and follow along. Matthew 18, verse 21, this is what it says. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Let me pray and we can get started. Father, thank you so much for the people in this room that we just have the opportunity to glorify you, to um, just, just listen and learn and grow deeper in relationship with you, that we would just know you more as we come out of this, that we would leave different than when we came in um, because of what your word has to say, because of, of Christ's example, that we would be so different because of, of what we see here, God. We thank you for all things, and we just pray that this time could be used to, to grow us in such a tremendous way. So we thank you. We love you. Do you want to pray? Amen. Forgiveness is like a really weird kind of thing, no? Um, I remember this last year, I was doing um, summer kids camp. So kids from like, uh, I don't know, like fetus to like grade four or whatever. Um, that's kind of the, the, the age range. And so I got like the cutest group, like the kindergarten group. And uh, so I had the kindergarten group and kindergarten's a really weird weird year when they start kind of discovering um, some stuff for themselves. And so this one little boy in my group um, came up to me and he goes, hey, I'm like, hey, he's like, did you know that I have man stuff? And I'm like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? He's like, he's like, look, I'm like, no, no, oh, put it, no, what are you doing? So I go and I talk to his, I talk to his mom and I'm like, you know, he's trying to, he's trying to tell people that he has some man stuff, you know? And she's like, if, if he does that again, you let me know. Oh my gosh, okay. She's like this scary Russian lady too, right? So she's like all up in like, if you tell me, I don't know, she doesn't have an accent, but you know what I mean, right? So the next day we're back at camp and, and the little boy now is under the table. So I'm like, okay, you know, he's just a little boy, he's getting some crowns, whatever. And he, he looks at another little boy and points, he goes, you got some man stuff too. And we're like, oh my gosh, what is happening right now? So I had to go to grab the little boy and bring him to his mom. And remember this, you know, very like structured Russian lady. And she goes, all right, you're coming with me. I'm terrified, you know, I'm like, what's going to happen? Is this, a, is this about to, is murder about to, what's going on right now? And no word of a lie, the punishment that she made him have for, for being disobedient to her was for two hours made him in the kitchen stare at the fridge. What? 
I can't do regular things for two hours. I can barely watch TV, and now you have this little kid talking about his man stuff staring at the fridge. It's crazy. But the one thing that we begin to learn in these kinds of situations, especially when it comes about forgiveness, is that someone always has to pay. Someone always has to pay, whether that's the other person, whether that's myself, or whether we kind of share the consequence, someone always has to pay. And that's kind of what's going to be happening throughout this story that we're going through. Matthew 18 from 21 to 35 is all of the story about payment. And this is what it says. Once again, verse 21, then Peter came up and said to him, this being Jesus, he said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? Right, whenever you read the Bible and you see the word then, you should probably go behind and see what's kind of what's going on. Jesus immediately talks about, right previous to this, what happens if someone sins against you? What do you do? In that moment, I'm kind of thinking, you know, something sparks into Peter's mind and he goes, well, okay, what do we do here? Do we, how many times do we forgive that person? It's an important question because in that culture, they said, um, you know, after three times, you don't forgive them. We kind of have a similar kind of model, you know, like three strikes, you're out. And we kind of have that same kind of thing or, or these little weird, you know, sayings that we have, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me once, shame on me or whatever. We have these weird kind of tendencies to also limit the amount of times that we forgive. And so Peter in the question to Jesus goes, how many times do I forgive him? Seven times? In that moment, Peter's being legit. Everyone else says three times. He doubled that and more so, seven times. That's crazy. How many times do I forgive him? Double the amount that we're supposed to? And then Jesus goes back and looks to him and says, no, I don't say seven times. I say 77 times. It's, it's not supposed to be actually like you're counting all the way to 77. It's just like hyperbolic. It's this exaggerated way of all the time. You continuously forgive all the time. That's what your disposition have to be. That's, that's who you have to be, a forgiving individual. Right off the bat, Jesus says to him, you are going to endlessly forgive always, 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 always. Regardless of whether you are the one who needs to be forgiven or you need to forgive someone, you as a follower of Jesus have the ball in your court. You must forgive. You must ask for forgiveness. The ball is in your court. This is what Jesus is saying. So why? Why should we forgive? What's the point of us forgiving? Then it goes into the rest of this story. Jesus then goes on to explain why we forgive in a story. And this is what it says. Verse 23, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So imagine this king, he's sitting there all lofty in his chair and he says, okay, I, I need to get my money back from all these people who owe me money. And this one guy shows up and he goes, Man, I, I can't pay this. 10,000 talents? Talent is not like uh, $10,000. Talent is, is weight. It's a, it's a weight of money. And if you calculate 10,000 talents to now, the whole point of it here is supposed to be, you are to pay this uncalculable debt. You cannot pay it back. To now, if you actually go through the math, whatever, it comes close to something about like $6 billion. Okay, 
Mr. Poor Man, you got to pay me back $6 billion, is what he said to him. Imagine the stress. You know, I had a friend like buy a Slurpee for me once and then ask me for the money back and I was getting sweaty. I'm like, two bucks, bro? Do I have that to spare? No. All of a sudden, Jesus goes, man, the story is this guy owes $6 billion. Then it goes on. 25, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. He's grieving. He's, he's on his knees. He's, he's, he's begging of the king. And look at the response. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put in prison until he should pay the debt. So this is the story. King goes to servant. He says, hey, pay up. The servant goes, no, I don't have that kind of money. It's, it's $6 billion. That's a lot. Of, I don't have that. The king, out of pity, mercy, grace, says to him, no, no, no. You know what? You do not have to pay. I will take the hit. You can imagine the joy in that moment for that guy. He's like, man, whew, don't got to pay that. Goes walking on the street. He's having a good old time. He sees a buddy of him and he goes, hey, you owe me six grand, bro. The guy goes to him and he goes, what, what do you, what do you, I, 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 don't ha- I don't have the money on me. And then goes on to say, well, suck it up. You give me the money, you're going to jail. What? What is that? So, 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 so you just got forgiven and you can't offer that exact same response back. You were forgiven, but you cannot respond in the same way to someone else. And this is kind of the moment where this all hits us in the heart, doesn't it? Unforgiveness. Not paying the debt for someone else, but making them before anything want to pay. Because they hurt us. They gave us problems. They took something away from us. And all we want for them to do is pay. We want to see them suffer. We want to see them hurt. That's what will satisfy us. No, it won't. So what if I'm forgiven? I'm still owe my due. That's his disposition. That's the way that this guy thinks about it. Some of you in this room have people in your mind. Immediately when I say that, they'll come right into your head. And that person is staring in the face. Maybe it's a parent. You cannot forgive for any which way. A sibling, a friend, a former ex-friend. Someone, isn't it so interesting that the closest people to you are the ones that hurt you the most? And we sit there and we have the exact same way of thinking. Yeah, 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 Jesus did his stuff, but I'm not going to give that to you. Let me give you a quick little test about whoever it is in your mind or whatever, if, if you have forgiven them or not. There's, a, there's five different stages. 
the first stage, and uh, we're going to put this one up if it goes up, and it's called the first thought test. Okay, the first thought test. This is what it is. When the first thought you have about them is not the injury they caused you in your life, you have probably extended forgiveness. You should be able to have normal thoughts about that person occasionally. Remember, you are dropping the right to get even the grudge you held against them. If the first thought you have about that person immediately goes to negative, you might need to be asking yourself some questions. The second one, the opportunity to help them test. Ask yourself, would you help them if you knew that they were in trouble and you had the ability? Most likely, this is someone you once cared about, perhaps even loved. You would have assisted them if they needed help at one point. While I'm not suggesting you would subject yourself to abuse or further harm, or that you are obligated to help them, or even you should, but would you in your heart want to see them prosper, or would you still want them to see to come to harm? This is a huge test of forgiveness. Number three, your general thoughts test. Can you think positive thoughts about this person? Again, you've likely been on positive terms with this person or in a close enough relationship for them to injure you to this extreme. Is there anything good you can come up with about them that is even remotely good? If not, have you really forgotten them? Number four, the revenge test. Do you still think of getting even with that person? There may be consequences which need to come for this person. You may have to see them through to protect others, but does your heart want to hurt them? If so, would you call this forgiveness? And the last one is the failure test, which it seems to me to be the most common. When someone injures us, we can often wish harm upon them. This is normal, but it's not a part of the forgiving process. Have you stopped looking for them to fail? If you have truly forgiven someone, then just like you would for anyone else, you would want them to succeed or at least do better in life. Forgiveness means you've stopped keeping a record of the person's wrongs. That's how believers respond to others. We consider best, their best interests. So the question now is left to you. How many people in your life would you consider to be on somewhere on that spectrum? That you look to them and you go, man, when something goes bad for them, I rejoice. I get pretty excited. When we think about that person, immediately what just comes up is the pain, the hurt, the, the, the stuff that they did, what they robbed me of. Is the first thought of them just make you just want to get angry? You clench your, your, your fist. You, 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 you can't stop tightening. And, and you, just, you just feel clenched all the time at the thought of who they are. Are you upset? Are you angry when you hear their name for the first time? Do they flood your thoughts? Are you the kind of person who you get into the car, you spend any time by yourself, and the thing they did to you just keeps replaying in your mind over and over and over and over again? Unforgiveness. And let's be straight. There are a lot of good reasons why you do not want to forgive them. There are a lot of reasons that you're probably justifying with yourself going, no, but this is why, because, no, no, actually, this is, this is why, because, and you justify. Probably they all fit within these 15 things. The first one, the reasons why we don't forgive someone, pride. Because forgiving someone makes me look weak. I want to be strong and superior. I'm right and I don't have to give in. 
The problem with pride is that pride is the very thing that keeps you in bondage and hardens your growth. It does not allow you to move or grow or to carry forward. It it actually holds you back. What about the second one? I don't want to give up my excuse-making system. At first, freedom can be scary. I'm out of my comfort zone. I'll be learning a whole new way of living if I learn to forgive. And maybe some of us don't want to. Number three, if I were to forgive, I would feel out of control. I want to feel in control and be able to manipulate others by holding the debt against them. It's kind of twisted. I would rather be mad at them so I can manipulate their emotions whenever I'm with them. Just so I know that I'm, I'm hurting them whenever I so want to. I can hold this above them. And we don't want to give that control up. Number four, If I forgive, I may get hurt again. The truth is, I'm going to get hurt again by others regardless of what I do. So the issue is, what is the best response to these upcoming hurts so that I'm not living in fear and being controlled by others? Number five, if I ignore it, the problem will go away. The problem just gets buried and resurfaces later. Unresolved baggage from the past is brought into the present. Number six, revenge. The person has to pay for it. They need to be punished and learn a lesson. I want to hang on to the right to be a judge. You are not God. You are not afforded the right to judge. Number seven, failure to understand God's love and forgiveness for me. I cannot give a gift to someone unless I first have something to give. Number eight, failure to forgive myself. Before I can truly forgive others, I must forgive myself. I can only love my neighbor to the degree that I love myself. Number nine, seems too easy and unfair. It seems I'm overlooking or condoning their sin. No, in fact, I am charging and documenting the debts and recognizing that Jesus died on the cross for that sin. Number 10, waiting for the person to come to us first. It rarely happens. Number 11, the person isn't sorry for what they've done. Chances are they'll never be sorry. Forgiveness is primarily for my benefit. I do not need to wait. 12, if I choose to forgive, I'm acting like a hypocrite because I don't feel loving and forgiving. The truth is, I am a hypocrite if I don't forgive because my real nature in Christ is someone who forgives. Isn't that kind of backwards? I don't feel like forgiving. I don't want to be a hypocrite. But in that very action, you're being hypocritical to your new nature in Christ who forgave you for all things. 13, waiting for a convenient time and a feeling. It will never be convenient. You may never feel like forgiving. 14, thinking it takes too much time. I don't have time to forgive. I can't afford not to forgive. I am the one in torment and in suffering. Last, 15, fear of feelings that might be stirred up. Sometimes when you go back to that person, the fear that you have is the initial hurt that you felt is gonna come back to you and you don't wanna feel that again. And that's okay. But I think 
the biblical command for us when we are to go and forgive others, even though if they hurt us, is feel the pain. That's what forgiveness is. Someone's got to pay. And all you're doing in forgiveness is allowing them to say, listen, I'm not going to make you take the hit, and I will take the hit for you. It's a beautiful way to understand the way that Christ pushes us to do this kind of stuff. This is just a side note. If you are someone who is a Christian, I feel like this, this happens quite a bit. You do not have the right to demand for somebody else to forgive you. You do not have the right to demand that somebody else forgives you. Listen, if you've hurt someone, if they have hurt you, in both of those situations as a Christian, the ball is in your court. You must initiate. You either go and you ask for forgiveness or you go and forgive the other person. You are the starting point. If you go and you ask for forgiveness and they do not afford it to you, you do not have control over that. You have done what you are called to do. You have tried to reconcile. You might go over and over and over again. If they choose not to, that's not on you anymore. You try over and over and over again. There should be a burden in your heart to reconcile. Right in the Sermon on the Mount, when Christ is talking about, listen, you need to be reconciled with your neighbor. He says, I don't even want you to worship if you have problems with someone. Go deal with that first and then come back and and give me the offering. It's a bigger deal sometimes to Christ than it is for us. Yeah, so what? I have a problem with them. It's okay. It's fine. I'll deal with it later. But for him, he's going, man, don't, don't even worship. Don't even come and give me offering if you have an issue. And maybe the first thing for us is we have to get into this mentality of it's actually a big deal. It shows the exact opposite of what we're called to. If my whole ideal, my whole model of life is to be more like Jesus in this action of me not forgiving them, I'm pushing him away. Doing the opposite of what you've called me to. And it hurts. You sit there, you replay the stories. There's probably two year span where I sat there and every single time I went into my car, I could not stop crying. Just replaying hurts, replaying pains, going seven stories deep into this idea of this thing that I have in my mind. Over and over and over, and my unforgiveness was hurting me. It's like a feeling you can't even describe. It's like all of you on the inside is just being mashed up. You're hurt over and over and over again. Every single one of us has a situation like that. I remember uh, at the last church that I was working at, I was kind of having kind of a weird season with the guy who was above me. And um, I preached a sermon, and I, I don't think he, he appreciated it very much. And so we went uh, to his house, and there was a number of leaders around. And, and he looked at me, and he gave me a critique. And, and I looked back, and I said, dude, I, I honestly don't think that's the way that it was. And we kind of went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. He looked at me, and he said, you know what? You have zero discipline, and it's probably because you don't have a father. Right to my face. What do you do in that moment? Do you fight back? Do you push back? Do you yell back at him? Or do you take the hit? What this is saying 
is your call is to take the hit. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to be angry. We don't want to have Christians who go, man, anger is a sin. Anger is not a sin. God gets angry about things. If you see injustice in the world, if you see things that are so harmful to people around you, you don't get angry. It's you not being like Jesus. Jesus gets upset about things, but do not let your anger go to sin. That's the problem. Do you forgive? This is how the story ends in verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master, the initial king, all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you. 34, and in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The king goes to the guy and says, listen, I showed you mercy. You did not show him mercy. What's going on? And what's the point? This is the point. Someone who does not grant forgiveness to others shows that in his own heart, they have not experienced God's forgiveness. I want you to think of that for a second. If you do not show forgiveness to others, the only thing that it means is if you come back to yourself, it's, I don't know what it means to be forgiven. Are you, are you tracking with, with that? that? That's kind of a bigger deal than I think that we're making it. If, if we do not forgive others, it means that we do not know what it means to be forgiven. If we do not know what it means to be forgiven, it means that we do not know the extent of our brokenness. If we do not know the extent of our brokenness, then we can't properly repent for the things that we are broken by. If we cannot properly repent, then we find ourselves with some trouble. You must forgive because you have been forgiven. You must forgive. It's not just what you do. Let's not make it that way. Let's not put it to a place where, man, hey, look at this guy. He's up on stage. He's talking because he has the mic. He's guilting us all into forgiving people. That's not the point. I'm not trying to make you feel bad about yourself so you go do something that you're kind of just doing out of duty. What I'm trying to say is look at what Jesus is saying about the way that he's talking to Peter. Listen, if you want to go and forgive someone, you take the hit. How much more does that mean coming from him? Shouldn't that stir something up in your heart? That if you can't be someone who, who forgives someone else, it means that you do not know the extent to which you are forgiven. That's a big deal. It's massive. And how often does that happen in these circles? We hold grudges. We, we think about things all the time. They keep replaying in our minds. When that event happened to you, you could almost say every single word as if it was yesterday. But God has called us to something different. When you have unforgiveness in your heart, it hurts everything about you. 
It carries forward for years after years after years. You make it bigger than just the individual event. I remember I was in the fifth grade and I recognized this for the very first time. I went into my house and um, I had my friend, and my friend's name is Shaq. And so we went to my house and he's, you can imagine this like really cool black guy with a big fro. He has the pick in his hair. I'm like, come on, you know what I mean? That's my boy. Shaq. And, uh, and so me and Shaq go into my house and immediately walk into my house. And my grandpa looks at him, turns the other way and slams the door. And I was like, what is going on? This is all kinds of racist. You know, I ain't about that life. So I'm like, what? This is like kind of a weird situation. No, like you see the dude, is it the fro? Is it the pit? Like what's going on? And so I went in and my friend laughed. We played some video games or whatever afterwards. And I go and talk to my mom and I'm like, hey, so this kind of weird situation happened with grandpa. What's kind of going on? And she went on to describe to me the idea that she, he had a problem with black people because his niece was murdered by a black guy in Florida. And what he began to do, which is what we so much do, is we take on the characteristics of that person that hurts you and we say, anyone who's like that's the same. And now that singular event has now expanded to even more kinds of people. We see that all the time. Man, that Christian hurt me. I don't want to deal with those kinds of people anymore. You know, that guy hurt me. I'm, I'm you know, they're all gone. Until you meet a cute one or whatever. It gets bigger. Hurts us. It, 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 it's not so much about what they did to you as now what you are doing to yourself. Think about that. This pain, this hurt, you're not letting it go anymore. You're just holding it onto yourself to make you hurt all the more. What about the whole idea of this? I've told the story multiple times about how my dad took off when I was three years old. I could definitely look at that situation and just be bitter, be upset, be hurt every single day. But what happens in that moment if I do that? If I just hold onto that pain, what is it? Every day he wins. Every day that wins. I can't be free if I'm the one holding myself to that. It's as if I see a problem, I get so upset that I go into the room and I handcuff myself there. I tell myself, I want to get out. I want to get out. I want to get out. And yet every single day I handcuff myself to the wall. It's my own problem that I'm stuck in this situation. See, forgiveness is, is, is kind of like this. Imagine uh, we're backing out. I'm backing out in my car and, uh, and someone hits my car. In that moment, immediately someone has to pay. Whether I say to them, you are going to pay, and that's my idea of justice. You have to pay for this thing. Or the other option is, you know what, don't worry about it. The first option is justice in our opinion. That's what we wanna see. The second option is what we call forgiveness, is that we are the people who refuse to make the other pay we are the ones who take the hit. Not only do we lose the original hurt that we have, but we also lose in almost kind of an agony and a suffering, the ability to make them hurt for what they did to us. We must take the hit. 
This has to be a forgiveness in our mind where we start asking about these things or stop thinking about them every single time we're on our own. We keep fueling it over and over and over and over again. This is not what Christ said for us to do. And this isn't his example. This is what uh, this guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes in one of his letters. He says this, my brother's burden, which I must bear, is not only his outward lot, his natural characteristics and gift, but quite literally his sin. The only way to bear that sin is by forgiving it in the power of the cross of Christ in which I now share. Forgiveness is the Christ-like suffering which it is the Christian's duty to bear. You are the one who has to take the hit. In this story, when the king says, listen, I'm not gonna make you pay. He says, let me take the hit. That $6 billion that you owe me, I'm never gonna see again. I'm never gonna see that money again. That is forgiveness. I am going to pay. Even if the other person has done me wrong, even if the other person has hurt me over and over and over and over again, let me take the hit. And isn't the example of Christ exactly like that? Romans 5.10, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? You are my enemy. We are against one another. And what I'm going to do is take the hit for you. Do we do that? Do we do that? Man, we're in the culture of, Man, if you follow me, I'll follow you. We check our apps, and as soon as someone unfollows us, man, I'm done with them. I'm done. 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 Unfollow. That's our disposition. Hey, if you're not doing it for me, I'm not doing it for you. And you think that doesn't affect us outside of the phone. It does. Hey, what you do for me, I'll do for you. If I get something out of this, I'll, I'll, I'll get you something with it too. That's not the way that Jesus does it. It's when you spit in my face, when you yell at me, when you hate me, I'm gonna love you more than you could ever imagine. And every single time that you look to that same person over and over and over and over again, and in your mind, you just want to hurt them. You want them to feel pain. You want them to feel this, this feeling that you have already felt. It's as if you're putting that person onto the cross. I want you to pay for this. I want justice. And the only image that you could have in your mind is Jesus walking up to you, tapping you on the shoulder and saying, take him, take him off because I'm going on. that every single time you have unforgiveness towards somebody, it's like you're putting them on the cross and Jesus walks to you and says, take them off. I've already gone on there for them. I've already gone on there for that. That's the type of way that he works with us, that he doesn't inflict the pain, he absorbs it. Look at Ephesians 1, 7 to 8. So this is what it says, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding, that all the pain, all the things that we have done, all of the issues we have started, he says, I'm going to forgive you. Not just when I feel like it. I'm going to grant it even though I don't feel like it. He looks to you and he says, no, no, not only am I just going to forgive you, I'm going to lavish onto you everything I have. Lavish, look at that word. Everything I could possibly do to give, I will give over and over and over and over again. That is nowhere close to, if you do it for me, I will do it for you. That is something completely different. It's a new category that he has asked for you to do as well. Some of us in this room are looking at ourselves right now and we can picture the person we're upset right now. We say, I'm not living up to that standard. I'm not doing the very thing that Christ has called me to do. You're upset with yourself, you're angry, you're mad. But what this says, that in him, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. How great is it that even in our inability to live out everything he has called us to do, he still lavishes on you. Still gives out. And every single time we fail, every single time we don't forgive, he looks to you and goes, your sin cannot have a power that comes close to the cross. That you sit there and regret and fear and we, and we get so upset about the things that we do. That we look to him and we feel awful about ourselves. We go, I'm, I'm not good enough. I, why am I even calling myself a Christian if I'm not living to the way that he has called me to? You think he's run away from you. You think that he's, he's, he's pushed away from who you are. Listen, God does not regret saving you. Christ does not regret going to the cross for you. With endless love, with endless mercy, he looks to you in your inability in your weakness, in your hurt, in your pain, and says, I want to take everything that they have. Do you know how crazy that is? Do you know how broken and screwed up I am to have someone to look at me and goes, regardless of what you do, past, present, or future, no sin that you ever do has the power to accomplish like what I did on the cross. He loves you so much. He would give everything possible for you. And he has. Think of everything that you have done. Think of everything that someone has done for you. He's staring at you in the face and said, let me take all of it. If you do not forgive, it means that you do not understand 
the extent to which you were forgiven. But the beauty of that is that you always have a chance to take a better look, to know him more, to delve deep into the graces of which he has given to us daily and ask him, let me know more about what you've done. Let me know more about what you've done. My call for us today is just for us to take the first step. To not be a people who just say, I'm going to forgive them three times. I'm going to forgive them seven times. But you have the idea that Jesus had. No, you are going to forgive them endlessly. Not because that's what you do, but because that's who I have made you to be. That's beautiful. It's amazing that we are called, every single person in this room, to be a forgiving people. And so what I want you to do is I want you to close your eyes and I want to read this prayer over you guys as we go into worship. And what we're going to do together, and we've never done this before, is we are going to do communion. So we want you guys to stay in your seats and we're going to pass around the bread. We're going to pass, pass around uh, the juice. And if you are a Christian in this room, if you are a follower of Jesus, we want you to take the bread and dip it into the juice and take it on your own time. And if you're someone here who, who doesn't believe that they have what it takes to be forgiven, let this please be the opportunity for you to rethink that. That Christ did not regret going to the cross for you. He did not regret giving everything he could for this opportunity. Let's bow our heads. This is the prayer. To forgive like you, blessed Son of God, I take this as the law of my life. You, who was given the command, gives also the power. You, who has love enough to forgive me, will also fill me with love and teach me to forgive others. You, who gave me the first blessings and the joy of having my sins forgiven, will surely give me the second blessing and deeper joy of forgiving others as you have forgiven me. Oh, fill me with a faith in the power of your love in me to make me like yourself, to enable me to forgive the 77 times seven, and so to love and bless all around me. Oh, my Jesus, your example is my law. I must be like you. And your example is my gospel too. I can be as you are. You are at once my law and my life. What you demand of me by your example, you work in me by your life. I shall forgive like you. Lord, only lead me deeper into my dependence on you, into all sufficiency of your grace and the blessed keeping which comes from your indwelling. Then shall I believe and prove the all-prevailing power of love, I shall forgive even as Christ has forgiven me. Amen.